Welcome to Episode 2 of the Homegrown Evolution Podcast. In this episode, we present a lecture by Mark McAfee, founder and CEO of the Raw Milk Dairy Organic Pastures. This talk was recorded on August 28, 2010 in Altadena, California. The talk was sponsored by Altadena Heritage and the Arroyo Food Co-op. Today's presentation is called Share the Secret, and we did 86 of them last year in six months. And the reason we've done these presentations around the state and nationally is because what I'm going to share with you today I cannot put on a website and speak freely of. The FDA actually bans any speak, uh, speaking of nutrition when it connects to health. There is a dissociation of those two subjects and it's actually a criminal activity. It's called commercial speech. So if you sent me a, a testimonial of something that happened good in your life, I could not put it on our website to share with others. So that's really quite uh, an unfortunate thing, but that brings me to you, which is wonderful because that's where I want to be, is connected to our consumers and talk about this. Um, what I do is, is produce raw milk, and we do it under the state standards, the standard of identity in California, which makes it entirely legal. What's exciting about that is we would not have raw milk in California under this standard of identity, this set of laws, if it wasn't for the Altadena people. For all those years and years from 1940 forward, when pasteurization seemed to be all the rage and all the in vogue to be commercial and industrial, it was the people that drank raw milk here in California, and especially here in Altadena and Pasadena, uh, that drank you know, milk from the Stubies Dairy and the Altadena Dairy, that said, no, we are going to support our dairy and we're going to drink raw milk. And it was that fighting and the legislative work that protected raw milk for California. Now, nationally, there's literally a bloodbath of people that are trying to connect to their dairymen that can't get raw milk and it's become a criminal activity. We're going to talk about these things and we're going to talk about the nutrition of whole foods, a simple statement like whole foods, not the commercial store, but whole foods, these unprocessed whole foods, the, the Jamie Oliver syndrome. Nobody knows about Jamie Oliver. We're going to talk a little bit about Food Inc and how the reality of Food Inc. is striking us, whether we know it or not. Talk about food, medicine. My background is paramedic medicine. I ran about, I think we best calculated, about 15 to 16,000 paramedic calls over 17 years of certification, which stopped in 1996. And in that period of time, it was interesting to see what happened on these calls. And I was not a big raw milk nutrition guy at the time. In fact, I was very much into Western medicine. But same thing happened time after time after time. You'd go to a house and somebody's trying to die. And um, you know, they're short of breath, they're having cardiac failure, diabetics, or diabetes or something, delivering a baby. There's always a pile of FDA approved drugs sitting right beside their, their you know, wherever they are. And there's approved drugs and they're dying. <laughs> and nowhere in the house is there any good food. So that now comes back in my mind very deeply and emotionally about my ability to dedicate the balance of my life and my children's uh, lives uh, and, and my, even my grandkids now to making America a better place by nutrition and whole food nutrition. So that's a little bit about the four corners of what we're going to talk about today. And I invite any questions to kind of make it quick and short because I don't have much time to go through this whole thing. There's about 65, 70 slides and there's just a lot of meat on this bone. <laughs> we have people in this room go all the way from I'm preaching to the choir. You've heard this presentation two or three times. I don't know why you're here. You just can't get enough, I guess. And uh, I love you. And there's people that are absolutely, completely, steadfastly believers that maybe this isn't the way and that raw milk is completely dangerous and you can live better through chemistry in your body and modern GMO and whatever else. And the whole foods are very dangerous and we've come beyond them. Well, I hope to help people have a perspective on this so they can take that home and digest it and think about it for themselves and perhaps get a different perspective. So from that, uh, this is our, our dairy, and I founded it in 1999. And we founded it because we had movie stars showing up at our dairy. All my milk was committed to Organic Valley to be ultra-high temperature pasteurized. 
And within 90 days of starting our dairy, we had people showing up because Altadena had just gone out of business. The old Studi's Dairy Altadena in 1999, in May of 1999, their last milk was sold in California. And uh, there was no raw milk except for Clarabelle. Clarabelle had 25 cows or less, and they've been around since 1927, but they were not widely distributed. There was virtually no raw milk in California in 1999 and 2000. And we were founded in 2000, just unbeknownst to me, we were the southernmost organic dairy in, in California. So we had people like Daryl Hanna showing up and Martin Sheen's wife uh, showing up and saying, hey, we want our milk. We, we want raw milk. And here's a nice chest. Fill it all up. We don't care how much we pay for it. And that happened just once, and I got it really quick. My background was paramedic medicine, and, and, and I, was, I, was teaching, I was a teacher of a health for the Fresno County Health Department. I taught paramedic medicine and other subjects for the Fresno County Health Department. I had been involved with Odwalla in the 1996 outbreak that killed a child and put a bunch of kids in the hospital. And I understood HACCP really well. I understood food safety really well. And I'd been, I'd been doing organic for a little while. And so this became a baby of mine, and I thought it was awesome because the stories they were telling me, these people were telling me, were my allergies go away. And I don't have lactose intolerance. And irritable bowel syndrome goes away. And, and asthma goes away. All these great miracles of medicine start to happen. And it's like, as a paramedic watching people suffer, you know, dialing 911, it's like, wow, if you could intercede in someone's life and prevent a disease, isn't that better and more sustainable? So we started selling milk and, and uh, bringing it to Los Angeles in my suburban, uh, which was stuck to the gills with ice chests. And what do you know, it'd be all sold by the time we get to L.A. because the cell phone would be ringing off the hook, people wanting to reserve their 10 quarts of raw milk. So it, it, it took off like wildfire. And um, so anyway, that was kind of the, the genesis, the beginning of Organic Pastures Dairy in 1999 and 2000. But now we have a big battle going on in Humboldt County, one of the only counties in California that forbids the sale of raw milk. And the people there have plenty of raw milk, but it's all black market. And, kind of bought and sold uh, who you know and who you don't know with goats and cows and stuff, you know, wherever you can find it. But the dairy industry wants no part of raw milk because it would compete with them and bypass, bypass the processing step and therefore the processors would be cut out of the profit. We had hearings this last week and we put up a YouTube video about it. It was very interesting that the people that stood against it were the FDA and the local dairy industry because it would cut into their profits because I connect directly to our consumers. We don't need a processing step. So it's, it's interesting to see who turns up. We had 60 moms that were absolutely adamant that we want milk, we want raw milk. And we had the, the retailers there, but their voices were irrelevant to the politics of the situation in Humboldt. This is right here in California where raw milk is entirely legal. So we have a little battle on our back, background as well. But we do the Share the Secret, and today's presentation will cover all these subjects and we'll go on further. But all of our, our labels on all of our products, and we've got some milk to fight over in the back. We've got about 15 half uh, quarts. I didn't imagine we are going to have 65, 70 people here. So uh, babies and mothers first. Um, there's more at the store. Uh, but I would love to have anybody who, who has not had raw milk before to please take a half gallon or a quart of milk as my gift to you to try it for yourself and see what happens. Free. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about this, share the secret. On all of our labels, we have this little, uh, please share the secret. Once you found out about nutrition, you found out about how it can heal your gut, the biodiversity of good bacteria found in raw milk, and the oligosaccharides and all the wonderful things found in raw milk that are not in processed milk, uh, please tell somebody, because that's the way this is going to become a concrete foundation that cannot be shaken by any FDA rule or any industry that says you can't have raw milk. You don't fight with a mother lion. And the mothers that, that nurse their babies uh, produce raw milk, not pasteurized milk. And uh, the next logical step, the next physiologically important step from breast is raw milk from a cow or a goat or a sheep or some other mammal on earth, not from some highly processed uh, baby food that oftentimes has all kinds of side effects that are not what nature ever intended. 
That's uh, Tracy up in Humboldt. She's a wonderful Ayurvedic, or Ayurvedic, however you pronounce it, um, uh, wonderful healer up there. And it was our, our, our work making ice cream. We were making raw milk ice cream and bringing a bunch of gifts of raw milk there to the Humboldt uh, County Board of Supervisors to talk about this. And it was interesting to see the political fallout. It got really hot. Uh, one of, the, one of the local dairymen who is very protective of the pasteurized milk um, history there since 1947. They've had mandatory pasteurization and mandatory you couldn't buy raw milk in Humboldt County. He brought five little pints of glass jars of raw milk and he handed one to every one of the Board of Supervisors, the elected officials. He says, here's my raw milk, but you're crazy if you drink it. I'd rather drink a week worth, week's worth of water from the Eel River than drink that stuff. That's what he said, the Eel River. And he basically said how terrible it was. And in the same breath he said, but boy, we make the finest pasteurized milk in the world. So it's kind of interesting to hear this guy really not know what he was talking about and talk, kind of crazy talk in terms of how filthy it was, but boy, it's a beautiful, wonderful product when it's pasteurized. It's kind of nonsense, but that's what was being spoken in front of the Board of Supervisors. There's a Board of Supervisors meeting here where they're talking and these two guys right back here are really, really very quite angry that raw milk would compete with their pasteurized milk. And there's the buttons they carry. So even in California, we have a little fight going on right now for the rights of people to access the whole food that's unprocessed and clean and certified by the state of California. Um, interesting that my closing comment to the Humboldt uh, County Board of Supervisors was, if it's good enough for the Girl Scouts, it's good enough for you. Um, the Girl Scouts of Central California, this is the, uh, the draft patch. The patch is actually going to be a little different than that, but close to this. And it was interesting to see that, um, that slide that was presented just a minute ago about the Girl Scouts and the local dairy in 1968 because the Girl Scouts in Central California South have determined that pasteurized milk is actually quite risky for them to bond their, 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 their cookies with because more and more girls can't drink pasteurized milk because of the allergies and triggers their asthma attacks. And doctors are prescribing not to drink pasteurized milk for these young ladies because they are allergic, allergic to it and it causes all kinds of problems. So they came to us. I didn't go to them. They came to us and said, we want to partner with you. You sponsor us and we'll co-partner co all the co-branding and do everything for you to promote you on our radio shows and, our, and everything on our, on our contact list. And we'll have up to 13,000 kids come through Organic Pastures Dairy to learn about where food comes from. It doesn't come from the store shelf. So we have a relationship now with, with the Girl Scouts, uh, raw milk and cookies. So it's kind of cool how mainstream raw milk is becoming in California. It's like Chevrolet and apple pie. And, and so uh, that was my closing comment to the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors, which they all kind of squirmed in their seats when I said that. But nonetheless, I don't know if you can see this or not, but this is star, uh, Mike, Mike Pollan. Who, who knows about Mike Pollan? Oh, yeah, it's the choir. <laughs> um, well, Mike, Mike has said things like this in the past. We've, we've sterilized our foods and our immune systems and we should eat more dirt and drink some raw milk. He said that in Sacramento. And the reason Dr. Mike Pollan is saying that as an author is because literally 80% of our immune system is made up of the biodiversity, the rainforest, the colonies of biodiverse. It means lots of different kinds of living bacteria that reside in our intestines. And in America, we've effectively destroyed that rainforest. We've not just bushwhacked South America, we've gone after our own rainforest within. And that ecosystem is now not re representing a broad spectrum of wonderful viruses and yeasts and bacteria that all cross-compete and have a homeostasis that reside and colonize there that make things like the lactase enzyme, for instance. We've destroyed that. We've reduced it into a monoculture of superculture of some pretty bad bugs. 
Uh, now we have candida. We've got all kinds of weird things going on down there that are enhanced by the poor diet we have and the antibiotics we eat and the preservatives like nitrates and benzoates we have in our, which kill off the biodiversity of good bacteria in our gut and reduce our ability to have an effective immune system. Dr. Mike Pollan knows this really well. And he's getting more and more. He's on, he's on Oprah Winfrey. He's been on uh, Bill Meyer's show and all kinds of stuff. So it's coming forward. It's just not politically correct. How do you sell a lot of pasteurized dairy products? And how do you sell irradiated eggs? And how do you sell capo dairy products and, and you know uh, funky stuff, genetically modified stuff, and clone stuff, and the newfangled antibiotic with this kind of speaking going on? You don't. People are connecting back to farmers to get whole food nutrition that doesn't have a lot of weird stuff going on. So this is counterculture to what really our body needs. And uh, that's why this is becoming such a really interesting thing going on uh, with the protests starting from the moms up. They're just not going to take it anymore. Dr. Susan Stone. I worked with her in trauma back in the 80s when she was in medical school and became a physician at Valley Medical Center where I was working as a paramedic on the helicopter. And she said raw milk is a medical superfood. Now this is a western trained doctor in Fresno, California who prescribes it because it works so well to rebuild the immune system. She's opened up her toolbox as a physician to not only have very good uh, discipline towards surgery and chiropractory and drugs and other things, but also nutrition and biodiversity and immune system building so that she actually is a healer now instead of just prescribing drugs. And then the side effects of the drugs actually create more drugs. It's just a madness what goes on when, when doc doctors get caught in the pharmaceutical um, loop. And she's using raw milk and other whole foods to actually uh, prevent disease in people. We cannot forget, we cannot forget our beginnings as mammals. We are defined by raw milk. Mammals nurse their young. Mothers nurse their young. That is not pasteurized milk, that is raw milk. We forget that. We forget that. Is it certified? I'm not sure. I think it's certified by the good Lord. Let's put it that way. But the interesting thing about this is let's take a little walk back. Let's think about a baby in utero, a baby in a uterus. There are very, virtually no bacteria in the digestive tract of an unborn baby. The unborn baby has a sterile gut. 80% of the immune system is made up of the biodiversity in the gut of an unborn child. So where does that gut bacteria come from to start the immune system of the baby? Any guys? You can't answer. We've got a doula up here, Alina knows these answers. The immune system begins through the first contact of bacteria that that baby has. Now we got a pregnant woman in here that's got pop in about three weeks. Where, are, where is she? There she is. The immune system begins by the baby being exposed to the birth canal bacteria of the mother. Now we know that because there was a big study done down in, uh, was done in South America where they tested the bacteria in the digestive tract of a baby born by C-section on the digestive tract of a baby born via normal birth canal. And the bacteria in the baby that had C-section had the skin of the human. The bacteria found in the skin of the human in the digestive tract, not the kind of bacteria found in a normal digestive tract of a naturally born child. So it's very critical that a mother have good uh, birth canal bacteria so the, the, the contact on the baby is slathered completely in all these wonderful juices that those bacteria are healthy. Because what's the next step? It's mother to breast. It's the baby to breast. So the suckling of the colostrum with the, with the mom's antibodies in the colostrum, which is a serum from the blood, not from the lacteal glands producing milk in the mother's breast, but rather a serum, a blood component that's actually secreted in the cistern and then suckled through the teeth. So the beginnings of life are critical in terms of the immune system development of an unborn baby becoming a born, a born baby is acquiring an immune system through the natural birth process, if at all possible, and also nursing. Now, how many kids are nursed in California on average? It's only 16%. One-sixth. 
One six, not 16, 16%. My wife's a labor and delivery nurse and teaches this stuff, so I know this stuff. Um, so 16% of the kids are nursed in California get the benefit of this, this process. Now, what's the C-section rate? I quoted 27% at Clovis Community Hospital in Fresno, California. Alina was sharing me the need down here in Southern California, it's in the 30%, 33, 34%. In 2004, it was 32%. So we're up in the 30s. And some of these designer births where set to date, we'll cut her out, you know, that kind of thing. But we got a real problem with the fact we're bypassing the beginnings of immune systems for our children and then we're wondering what's going on in terms of immune system failure on a quantum basis. Yes, ma'am. Oh, also just the, the um, ICT temperature. Wonderful. <laughs> You're a hero. <laughs> She's conscious. And a, yes. But also that that small percentage of women that nurse only nurse in our country for about three to six months. Right. Short duration. Did you hear that? Everybody needs to hear that. We're talking about just a few months of nursing in, in the United States versus years, four or five years, which is being reported. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is profound information because immune system status of, the, of, of our offspring is critical to their development in terms of surviving and being healthy people. So this is a very profound thing. Understand that breastfeeding is not a one-way event. The baby has bacteria in its mouth. They just put everything in their mouth. What do they do? They suck on their fingers. They suck on their toes. They suck on anything. They are little bacteria magnets. They're not supposed to be in a sterile environment. What do they think they crawl on the floor for? Okay? They, the dogs lick their face. They're really quite dirty. But absolutely critical to be so. Because guess what? They put everything in their mouth. They have a wonderful adaptation, ability to adapt to bacteria and accumulate in colonies of the bacteria, which gives them a profound ability to fight off infection and be healthy, especially when they're nursed and breastfed. Those bacteria are shared with the mother through the suckling process, and the mother becomes the antibody factory that feeds the baby. It's a symbiotic relationship. It's not a one-way relationship. So this is a beautiful thing. I mean, that's pretty powerful that the baby gets an antibody for the bacteria in their mouth from the mom uh, by breastfeeding. So it's a very powerful thing that we need to encourage. Please, please encourage uh, breastfeeding as best as possible. If you can't, you need to get into some kind of raw something. You need to get into raw milk from some animal and perhaps there's some good recipes you can get into how to do that. But a living food is pretty powerful stuff. The Weston A. Price Foundation, in, in, in cooperation with my daughter, who's a breastfeeding young mom, um, developed this brochure, and Weston A. Price did all the research for it, and it's got the best underwriting, uh, university stuff, Lancet, JAMA, uh, UC Davis, the biggest ag university in the world. This is the information that comes out. Do you have problems with constipation, gas cramps, trouble sleeping, uh, congestion, milk allergies, laxus intolerance, frequent spitting up, weakened immune systems, frequent colds, runny noses, and ear infections? Hey, moms. How to call out to that? The bottom line is, most moms do when they don't have breastfeeding and they don't have raw milk and they don't have these wonderful foods. They have the oligosaccharide sugars and so on and so forth. They have these problems. This is quantum across the board. You see this all the time when mom have these problems. And it's, it's, a, it's a, marriage, a marriage destroyer. Kids don't sleep at night. Everybody gets angry at everybody. They cry all the time. They got gastric camping. They go to the pediatrician all the time for ear infections. The antibiotics, one round of antibiotics increases the incidence of asthma for life 250% if you have one, less than one year of age. This came out of UC uh, San Francisco. So, the bottom line is, we are destroying the immune systems of our children, and then we're getting vaccinations in the middle of, in the middle of immune depression, and we're wondering why we're having some bad outcomes in terms of children suffering through immune depression uh, problems. So what we've developed is this wonderful resource here that will give moms a little bit of a fighting chance here. We've got raw breast milk, not just breast milk. We're going to remind moms their breast milk is raw, not processed in some way. So we're going to remind moms that raw breast milk is best, absolutely. If you can go five years, that's pretty cool. I don't know if you can do it. If you can do a year, that's awesome. 
But when you're finished, go to raw cow's milk or goat's milk or something like that that's living whole food from an animal, not dead, because you will continue to have a thriving child that grows up and is strong. And you can look at the differences between raw breast milk and raw cow's milk, pasteurized milk and infant formula are quantum. But you don't see any of these things on the nutrient label of the pasteurized milk product. Because all of these things are destroyed when you talk about pasteurized milk. So this is a very profoundly important thing. I think most profoundly is you've got living things in milk that matter. In fact, Dr. Bruce German, this is a, this is a great one, guys. Dr. Bruce German, PhD, up at UC Davis. He's a milk researcher. He did the milk biome project where they tore milk apart to look at the genetics of what made milk the way it is and look at the cow. Because the milk industry, the got milk people, wanted to know something that they could brag about medically and prove to the FDA they have a medical claim on milk, pasteurized milk. Well, he did this and cost millions of dollars, funded by the dairy industry, and his conclusion was, hey guys, found out something here. Milk's a living food, the enzymes, good bacteria, and guess what? It's got oligosaccharides in it. Oligosaccharides are long-chain bacteria, or excuse me, long-chain sugars that feed bacteria. Your body can't assimilate or digest these, these, these sugars. They're simply to feed the bacteria in your gut and help them recolonize the walls of the gut. This came from Bruce German. They said, we don't want to hear any more, Bruce. It's not going to help us. He said, he told the industry, back off a little bit on the processing. Stop processing so much because the value of your milk is going down when you do that. You don't hear this in the news. You don't hear that. Because it didn't make the industry any money. You're not going to hear about it. But this is profoundly important information that happened two years ago. And guess what? It's confirmed and we have results of that. Now we can put it on, on brochures. But we're going to promote Dr. Bruce German's work, who's the best work out there at UC Davis. So anyway, we got people like Dr. Donald Fields, who's the chief of medicine at Valley Children's Hospital, prescribing raw milk for kids because it's so easy to keep them from having ear infections. Uh, we have Dr. Bruce, uh, Dr. Uh, Susan St Stone up in Fresno doing a Mercola. I don't know if you know Mercola, but he's kind of the, the naturopathic guy who's got more people visiting his website than any other website in the world on naturopathic type uh, solutions. He, he's seriously into raw milk. We got all these wonderful testimonials over here from moms about this. It was very, very interesting. There's three counties in California that do not allow the sale of raw milk. One of them is Kings County, but they don't care about it. They don't enforce the law. It's just south of Fresno County. One's Trinity County, which doesn't really have any people. They've got a couple of goats and a couple of sheep and hunters and some fishermen and some loggers way up in Northern California. And then there's Humboldt County that has 130,000 people. But I met Dr. Donald Fields in a very strange way. In 2005, we got a phone call at Organic Pastures Dairy in Fresno, California. It's kind of a funny but very serious little incident here from the Kings County Health Department. And there was one of these guys that worked for the health department. He was one of these, I don't know, go-to people to just get things done. He wasn't a healthcare person. He was just a, a financier. He says, I've got an American Express credit card here, and I got a call from Dr. Donald Fields at Dallas Children's Hospital to either respond in an ambulance down to your dairy or have the sheriff's department come down there and emergency pick up raw milk and get it to Dallas Children's Hospital immediately, and I've got an American Express card right here to pay for it. I said, really? That's very interesting. Kings County doesn't allow the real sale of raw milk, and here I'm emergency delivery raw milk to Valley Children's Hospital to save a kid's life. So I said, hey, I'll drive it up there immediately. So I got milk, jammed it up to Valley Children's, and they gave it to a child, and within a couple of hours, the child actually passed the gas and the, the fecal impaction they had in his intestines, which was causing terrible torment to this child, because raw milk includes with it in it, raw milk from the rest of raw milk from a cow or goat or sheep, has elements which actually increase peristalsis to move the bowel. And this kid had a fecal impaction so severe that he couldn't breathe. He was like beyond himself. Something going on really critical there. So 
pretty interesting stories just coming out of left field about how this stuff comes, uh, comes to, to, to pass. But this will be a very effective tool to get it out there to moms about how valid, super important breast milk is and how it's important to continue on the raw path and the unprocessed path and into adulthood where you actually have these benefits. So it's pretty interesting uh, how this is all coming down here. And who knows Dr. Weston Price? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I won't go into this very much because it's old hat for most. But Dr. Price lived back in the, in the 20s and 30s and he and his wife uh, went around the world. He was a Western trained dentist. Wasn't an alternative guy, he was just a Western trained dentist. He was studying cultures of people around the world that had primitive diets that did not eat modern foods. Because he wanted to know what it was people should eat to actually have good teeth. And what he found was wherever he went, they had lots of diet, or diets that had lots of enzymes, lots of good fats from grass feeding of cows or goats or sheep, not grain feeding, lots of bacteria in their diet, a biodiversity of bacteria, meaning lots of different kinds of bacteria, and also lots of minerals. He also found that people ate a lot of organ meat. He also found that some uh, cultures around the world didn't ever drink raw milk ever. The uh, Eskimos never did. But everybody around the world ate the things found in raw milk. In other words, the elements in raw milk were in everybody's diets. Good raw fats, lots of enzymes, lots of good bacteria, mineral availability. All those things were found in raw milk. That's what brings us today to talk about this because when you figure out what you need in your gut that you don't have for the American diet, American diet is sterilized, highly processed, preservatives, irradiated, pasteurized. You don't have good enzymes because they're killed off by pasteurization. You don't have good fats. Everything's grain-fed, not grass-fed. And you certainly don't have any enzymes, and the bacteria are gone because of the heating. So all those things found commonly around the world 100, 100 years ago in 1920s and 30s that were in cultures of people that are very healthy are not found in our diets today. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. It's not about raw milk, it's raw milk plus all the other whole foods, the unprocessed whole foods you find at a farmer's market or backyard garden or at a good store that has these whole foods that are unsprayed, not GMO, not cloned, not irradiated, not uh, you know, pasteurized. That's what people thrived on, not the modern solutions that have brought us to the industrial age of these synthetic foods we have now. So when you figure that out and you figure out this immune system, 80% of the immune system needs this good bacteria and they're not our enemies, they're our best friends, then raw milk becomes a passion. And I, I don't know a person yet that I've met that drinks raw milk that isn't freaking crazy about it. You know, they say, watch out, the hordes are coming at the stores. Because they realize when our truck delivers, within 12 hours, half the inventory will be gone in that store because they know it's fresh when it's, it's delivered. And the people come to the door and just fight over the milk. Because they understand its value in terms of understanding the living nature of its value. That's a clean hand after washing your hands. Let's talk a little bit about what we are as normal bacteriosapiens. If you look at Dr. Bonnie Basler's work at MIT, you look at the work being done at um, uh, Yale University, Stanford University, all big universities in the Human Biome Project, you will see that in fact our bodies are packed filled with bacteria on the inside and outside. Not every organ, like the brain does have a lot of bacteria in it, but the guts, the lungs, the eyes, the ears, the skin, packed filled with bacteria. And that's the normal status of a human being. Yet we treat ourselves as if bacteria are foreign and should be gotten rid of us, that we should, we're sterile beings, that we should get rid of bacteria, when in fact they are absolutely cohabitating with us and completing our genome. 
There are criminologists now they are saying, wait a minute, when we check people's fingerprints, the bacteria is almost always the same year after year after year. And finger, finger by finger by finger, you have resident bacteria that's different than the transient bacteria that doesn't wash off. And in fact, the colonies on your fingers rarely change. They're actually able to take not only a fingerprint to figure out the physical findings of what the fingerprint looks like, but now a biological finding. And this science is way new. It's not something that they're going to use tomorrow. It, won't be, or it may not ever be, but they're saying that's a very good way of maybe figuring out who was at the scene is looking at the genetics of the bacteria from the fingerprint, which is their bacteria. So very interesting that the surface of our body has trillions of bacteria, that's 13 zeros, that's a lot. And a thousand different species in every part of our body, in our mouths and everywhere, has a different colony of bacteria that live in kind of homeostatic harmony for that particular area. So bacteria are friends. What are we doing with uh, triclosans now? The FDA is kind of reluctantly saying, maybe not, maybe not use triclosans anymore. Triclosan is a hand sanitizer. That does what? It kills bacteria. They're finding now that bacteria is really smart. What's the first form of life on Earth? Primitive bacteria. When you go to Mars and look for life, you don't look for monkeys on a tree. You look for bacteria. Bacteria is what caused the higher life forms to actually occur on Earth. And now the higher life forms, 90% to 95%, everybody's arguing what the percentage is, of our bodies by cell count are made up of bacteria. So those first founding life forms on Earth are still very much in us. We just have the superstructure of human uh, cells, which are very large cells, surrounded by these other cells, which are bacterial. And what we're finding now when you look at the Human Biome Project, is a $150 million multi-year project, is that when you looked at the human genome, you couldn't find the human genome. It didn't exist by itself. It was only 15% they could find. The 87% or 85% was in the bacteria of the body. Because every cell communicated with the bacteria and shared genetic information. So a human cell by itself is kind of lost without the genetic information to complete its information with the bacteria around it. Now, even more importantly, the bacteria around it have everything to do with the food you feed the body because certain foods promote certain kinds of bacteria. That whole foods are actually very effective prebiotics that they encourage good bacteria. That sugary foods are not so good at all. They actually encourage candida and yeast. It's all coming together now. So it's very interesting to see the Human Biome Project here is going, whoa, it's, it's a whole new world for medicine. But medicine is steeped in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s and kill it all. When we're killing it all, we're killing ourselves. And that's what you see right now unraveling with MRSA, killing 20,000 people a year. The uh, methicin-resistant staph aureus and VRAs and those kinds of things, opportunistic bacteria, the C. diff. And I've got a cute little story later for C. diff, which is interesting. Anybody heard of Clostridium difficile? It's killing people every day at the hospitals. Clostridium difficile comes on when you abuse people with antibiotics and you only have this really tough survivor in there that dominates and kills you from, from uh, septic, septic, uh, being septic. So anyway, this is all coming now, but it doesn't make anybody any money, so we don't talk about it. Hippocrates, 2450 years ago, this old Greek doctor, Hippocrates, um, the, the oath of do no harm is the Hippocratic oath. He also said, let food be your medicine and medicine be thy food. You don't hear that too much coming out of doctors. Some doctors preach it, and they're very effective at healing, but those that don't are generally basically on drugs, and it, we have a real tragedy is unraveling because drugs don't do a whole lot of good. Uh, they may alleviate a signer symptom today and allow the underlying disease process to continue without perhaps as much pain, but nonetheless it continues. So this idea of pre prevention is really critical. In fact, we have a lot of talk now about universal health care, but it's more about universal financing of illness than it is preventing anything. I see some nods out there. The bottom line is prevention is nutrition. And who the heck cares about an organic farmer? Where's their lobbyist in Washington, D.C.? 
So the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry has the money by the throat and they're shaking all the money out of the tree as more and more people get sick. Mike Pollan said this in his research that in the 1960s, the growth of the national product created by the medical industry and pharmaceutical industry was sometimes someplace between 7 and 8% of our gross national product. Now it's pushing almost 20%, 19.5% or so. So we've doubled in half what we're spending on medical out and all this great science, this wonderful drugs, and we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So it ain't working. It ain't working. The moms are figuring it out and saying, I'm fed up with going to the doctor to get ear infection medication, which isn't working, making another one come on, and so on and so forth. And they're saying, what is it I can feed my child that will prevent this disease process? And they're figuring it out. And what do you know? It's not drugs. So we've got a big disconnect between massive, uh, the whole food and drug thing and health. It's, it's very much a disconnection. But there's one thing I'd like for you to really take home from my speaking today. It's that there are two raw milks in America. The FDA will not acknowledge that I said that. In California, it is a matter of law that there are two raw milks. One is for people, one is for the pasteurizer. You can make one into the other, but you can't make the other into the other. That's because one's really clean. One comes from a natural set of conditions that doesn't have pathogens naturally because it's sun-drenched and natural. And the other one's this cathode facility, confinement animal feeding operation. Who got to see me talk on Fox News the other night? All right. Well, it was very, very interesting. I was shocked, shocked, blown away. My 10 years of fighting has come to fruition, I think, because the California Department of Food and Agriculture is, a, is my nemesis in, in terms of you know, always trying to tr stumble us up and put us out of business somehow. They represent the big dairy industry. There's 1,750 dairies in California. There's only two raw milk dairies. Ourselves and Clarabelle have been around since 1927. When Fox News producer, this guy's name was Martin and his assistant Heidi, were trying to find the go-to guy on talking about nutrition and this egg recall, they called CDFA. And CDFA says, call that Mark McAfee guy down in Fresno. I was blown away. Your enemy never gives the enemy the microphone. <laughs> so I was, a, I was able to get on live news and talk about this very simplistically, and it's on our Facebook if anybody wants to see it, organicpastures.com. And it was very good to be able to have five minutes about building a better immune system and eating local, getting an idea of where your food comes from, not a big confinement operation with grain and antibiotics and, and crushed, all these animals crushed together to try to have some natural food coming out of it. No, we're talking about grass-fed, we're talking about natural, no antibiotics, no grain, in a natural sun-drenched environment where you don't normally produce bad bugs. So we got to say that, and it was really good to see that. So we've got two raw milks here in California. The FDA has one raw milk, and that's the one for pasteurization only, and they don't see any good place for bacteria anywhere, any place. And it's interesting because the FDA was founded back in the 20s and 30s on the, in the Health Care Acts to, to get flushing toilets and clean water and pasteurized milk and try to get rid of the blight of typhoid and all these diseases that were occurring because of filth. Well, perhaps during that time that was an appropriate step. But they didn't have a, 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 a military decision to go after only bad bacteria. They had a decision, and they wear uniforms, by the way, military uniforms, the FDA, to attack and kill all bacteria. And now that attack is turned on the American people and the body count is off the charts. So it's very interesting that we need to have a change of paradigm at the very top of our leadership, but it's not going to happen because they protect industry and the capital systems. We need to have a change at the bottom of the food chain where the moms say, I'm not doing it anymore, and you simply dollar vote. You say, I'm not going to buy that anymore. I'm going to buy something else. I'm going to buy what works. So it's pretty interesting to see these two. And you can see there's 27 differences between raw milk for people and raw milk for pasteurization. And there's a handout in the back of the room if anybody really wants to study it. Let me just give you a couple of examples and go on. This milk right here is tested 16 times a month for pathogens. This milk right here is never, ever tested for pathogens. They rely solely on the pasteurization step. And let's remember, 
that bacteria are very, very smart. They're first forms of life on Earth. They'll adapt and overchange everything. What's Purell say? Not Purell. What's uh, Triclosan say on the label for hand sanitizers? It says kills 99.99% of bacteria. Well, whatever happened to the 0.110 or 0.001 bacteria? Come back to kick your butt. And that's what's going on is we are putting antibiotics and sterilizers and chemicals in front of these bacteria and they have adapted and overcome the challenges because they're smart and they can adapt. And that's what's going on here. Uh, here's another example. We have to have less than 10 coliforms. Remember, there's 230 different kinds of coliforms. Only two or three are pathogenic, the E. coli 015787. But their relatives are very beneficial and they're found everywhere. We can only have 10 of those in our milk and zero pathogens. Over here, you have 750 per milliliter on a three out of five basis. In fact, it could be 1,000 or 1,500, three out of five before you fail. And that's before it even gets in the truck to go to the big creamery where it's commingled with everybody else's milk. And they don't even test for coliforms there because it's multiple thousands per milliliter. So we have a quantum difference just right there. Pretty interesting uh, how that goes. Uh, up to 100,000 standard plate count, we have to be, have less than 15,000, our average is 2,500. So you can see they're just different milks. This comes from a, a very tightly inspected, uh, tested, uh, you can't take milk from multiple dairies and put it in the same tank, it's only one dairy, one tank, one truck to the same store. I have to take complete responsibility for it, there's transparency, you can call me if you get sick, or if you don't get sick, you can call me and file a suit. <laughs> you know, over here, you hide behind a pasteurizer. Here you test for, for uh, pathogens, here you don't. It's pretty interesting. This is a picture of our dairy. We have a mobile milk barn, and our mobile milk barn moves around 500 acres of pasture continuously to allow us to have this kind of picture every day for the cows. So the cows are always moved every few days or a week to make sure they're always on a clean and green environment, which is biodiverse and sun-drenched. And you just don't find bad bugs in that environment. Or if you do, you find them at extremely low levels dying because the good bugs are doing battle and killing them off. But the, the cows, I often hear this story, like we're the only animals on earth that drinks the milk of, of another animal and all this kind of thing. Well, it's very interesting that you do a little historical perspective, you take away the stores, so there's no more place to go buy your milk at a store. You take away all this modern convenience of accessibility to tons and tons of, of abundance around us, and you will not have a way to link yourself to the sun for immediate food right now. The cows actually are a solar sunshine converter. The sun is above you. If you eat, try to eat the sun, you starve. If you try to eat the grass, you have a hard time too. I'll get to you in just a second. You'll have a hard time too because we don't have four stomachs. We can't digest things that are so hard to digest. The lignans are too long. The carbon chains are too hard to digest. Cows have four stomachs. They chew their cud. So they can digest the grass, create things we can consume like butter, milk, cream, cheese, beef, and all those things that we can digest with one stomach. So they are literally the go-between between sunshine and the grass and allow food for us. 120 years ago, you didn't find anybody come across the United States without a couple cows behind their Conestoga wagon because you could kill a cow if you got really hungry. And she could always eat the green grass and give you milk or butter or cream that evening. So very interesting, and every other calf was a bull calf on average. And you could kill the bull calf if you had to eat two. Yes, ma'am? Um, I'm a big Rob fan. So <laughs> this question is a friendly one, but obviously the Central Valley doesn't look like that at all. We irrigate like crazy. All the time. All the time. All the time like this. And it gets shorter and then we move to the next pasture. We do supplement with alfalfa. We want to keep that dry matter uptake, uh, intake high enough. And we get about five gallons of milk per day. My neighbor gets 18 to 25 gallons of milk per day, milking three to four times a day with BST hormone, antibiotics, and tons and tons of grain. But they got bad bugs in their manure and they could never do what I do. So 
worlds of difference. They're not doing something bad. They're doing what they're taught and what they have to do to, to, to do that, what they do. And I'm doing what I'm doing to meet the state standards. for. So it's just different. It's not good or bad. It's just entirely different objectives. There's our consumers. Number one priority. A secret number one priority for us is also that we keep it delicious. Nobody drinks two swigs of raw milk if the first swig tasted bad. So we always work as hard as we can to make sure it's fresh, cold, and that it's always delicious. A secret to buying raw milk is find out when it's delivered, buy it that day or the next, and don't expect it to go more than a week. Keep it cold and drink it early. You'll be delighted. If you don't, you try to buy it a week and a half old, it's going to start being fermented, maybe a little bit bitter or sour, and you'll be a little disappointed. You have to make it into something cultured. And Lena's the one to see you on that one. Lena knows how to culture products like crazy down at the Culture Cub, uh, which is nearby here. It's in Pasadena. So you can culture raw dairy. Very interesting to note that most raw dairy around the world was consumed in cultured product, not as a fresh product because no refrigeration. So to culture your food actually brings additional bacteria, ferments it, makes it a little bit more acidic, more, easy, more easily digested, and you could do delicious smoothies and all kinds of stuff with it in a blender. So great stuff, but customers are our first priority. And she's got a little story, which I won't get into, but awesome, about undiagnosed abdominal pain that went away in three days when she started drinking raw milk, but she was on every drug in the world from her doctor who couldn't figure it out. This kind of conditions, the milk has always been safe. Always been safe. Going back 10, 15, 20,000 years, the first notes of, of drinking milk was the Sinai in the Ukraine 20, 30,000 years ago. And then obviously there's a lot more abundant history information 9 to 10,000 years ago. But in the land of milk and honey, it wasn't pasteurized milk and honey, that was raw. Um, so these kinds of conditions have always been safe, always been filled with wonderful CLA values and high omega-3s, these kinds of things that are not found in our grain-fed animal, uh, animal fats today. But this is the unusual picture. This is the happy cow picture. This is our food chain in Organic Pastures Dairy. We're green pastures all the way along, USDA Organic, Animal Welfare Approved, which is a, a big story in its own right. Never any uh, hormones, never any antibiotics, never any GMO. You know what GMO stands for? Genetically modified organisms or God move over? Okay. Um, you like that? CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, which is considered to be a very, very potent antioxidant. It also burns cellulite. So you have movie stars fighting over this stuff because it makes them look skinny when they get old. So um, CLA is very, very important in terms of anti-cancer fighting. And it's not found in food today because nothing's grass-fed. Everything's grain-fed. Omega-3 is high. Sixes are low. These are the good cholesterols. Uh, probiotic, enzyme-rich, clean and green. That's what we've got going on here, which is a mirror image of what's classically been always wonderful uh, in the history of mankind. Bottled on our farm, milk only from our cows, tested like crazy for pathogens. We've yet to find a pathogen in our fresh raw milk in 10 years of testing. Now that sounds okay. That sounds pretty unusual. Let me tell you something that will blow your mind. Clarabelle, since 1927 has detected exactly zero pathogens in their raw milk, state of California tests. It's not random. When you intentionally change the environment the cows are in, and you diligently produce milk with that intention, you get to a point where you're approaching perfect, if not perfect. It, it, but you hear the FDA say, oh, one drop of milk, you're dead. You're going to die today. The last people to die from, from milk was pasteurized milk at Whittier Farms. Whittier Farms in Massachusetts, three people died from hysteria. The CDC website has zero people dying from fluid raw milk in 37 years. The CDC website shows zero. Two people died from raw milk cheeses, but if you look at the law, you can get any old milk and make a raw milk cheese as long as you age it 60 days. And that was queso fresco, bath, uh, uh, Mexican uh, bathtub cheese. So that's not fluid milk for human consumption. That's some other funky thing. The bottom line is the data is very compelling. Yes, people get sick from drinking raw milk, no question. But let me tell you what happens. 
you got the state of California with this really tight, tight set of standards. We do our best to keep it all clean. We've got a really good safety history. Somebody spoiled rotten drinks milk here in Altadena, and they're all good to go. you got a sister back east in Ohio, and her kids have allergies and asthma. And you go, my kids don't in Altadena. They're drinking raw milk. Back in Ohio, they can't get raw milk. So the sister's all jealous. She goes, I'm going to find raw milk. God bless her. She goes down to the local dairy, and she gets raw milk. And that milk was intended for pasteurization. It's pretty dirty. And she doesn't know what she's getting. Most of the time, the kids don't get sick, but sometimes they do. So the bottom line is, you get this cross-purposes of these two kind of conflicted milk productions. And with the internet the way it is, people talking all the time, you get people going to the wrong dairy for the wrong purpose. And so you've got problems with that. I'm not suggesting today that my milk's perfect. It is not. It will not ever be. No food is perfect. You've got people dying of spinach, peanuts, pasteurized milk. You know, you've got massive recalls going on right now with eggs, 500 million eggs. Uh, Umqua Dairy Creamery in Oregon, 23 people sickened from salmonella. It's just a barometer. It's, it's the, this the canary in the mine shaft of immune depression in America. We've made superbugs, we have super depressed immune systems, and now you've got people getting sick. If we were correct, if we were eating more probiotic food and not creating superbugs, we'd have a, a better marriage in our food system. But we don't. We're creating this disparity, this gradient, where you've got a welcome mat that says, bad bug, come get me. And the data is showing that. That's organic pastures dairy, and that's the way it was always supposed to be, as best I understand it to be anyway. We have a food safety plan, which has actually become the gold standard uh, for food safety systems. It was developed by Dr. Ron Hole in Australia uh, in, in, concert, in consult with Dr. Ted Beals, who is the ex-pathologist for the VA hospital on the Clinton administration. Guy's a top doc for bacteria for the United States of America. who's a huge drama proponent. And we developed this non-kill step risk analysis management program for the entire food chain of organic pastures dairy and every day we do a checklist to assure that we're doing the things we think are best to reduce the minimum chance or minimize the chance of bad bugs and increase the chance of, of good bugs and then doing that we actually empower your immune system to be the kill step in our milk in other words when your immune system is working well you can do battle with a bad bug if it came from our milk or it came from any place it came from pasteurized dairy product came from tomatoes cantaloupes uh, eggs you'll be the one that doesn't get sick because you've got the experience and you've got your guts working, your immune system status is enhanced. So this is a, a wonderful non-kill step. We don't irradiate, it won't pasteurize. Everything gets cold quickly. We make sure that the temperatures are right, where the pastures are green, everything's clean. This is the kind of way to prevent a bad bug from being grown and encourage good bugs from being grown. And animal welfare approved, uh, we've got a wonderful system going on there in terms of enhancing the, uh, the value of the animal's environment. That's my son, Aaron. Uh, he's kind of a joker. But you know, I'm very proud of my son. He has his BS degree from Fresno State and his master's, his MBA from Fresno State. And he's chosen organic pastures dairy for his life. He's not leaving the dairy to go work someplace else. He's making good money and he's running all the logistics for 400 store deliveries, 16 trucks and 50 employees. And he's overjoyed with what he's got because he's got purpose in his life. You know, I was asked once by a USDA inspector, he said, you know, I only have to ask one question of you to know if you're sustainable or not. He says, what are your kids doing? If your kids are leaving, you're screwed. If your kids are there, happy, well-paid, enjoying their lives, you're good to go. Next generation's alive. My grandkids are drinking raw milk, not only from the mother's breast, but our milk now from the dairy, and they look like they look like pretty good little CEOs coming on. So the bottom line is, it's it's the farm has to be sustainable. There's got to be an interest by the ownership to perpetuate it and protect it and connect to consumers. So I'm very excited about it. my son Aaron. I'm very proud of him and his ability not only to uh, do accounting and and uh, business performance management and, and apply his accounting skills, but also manage people and consumers and and product. Now, here's the story of the other milk. This is my neighbor's dairy. 
And I think it was alluded to a little earlier about the big problems that happened in the 1800s. Absolutely, raw milk killed 50% of the people that drank it in the 1850s, 1860s. There was an embargo against Jamaica in 1812. In 1812, the British wouldn't let us get to our rum in Jamaica. <laughs> so America got real innovative and put a thousand of these rum distillers. I don't know if it was a thousand, but it seemed like a thousand. Every, every downtown area in Chicago, Boston, New York had two or three of these distilleries that was producing as distillers grains that were being fed to cows in confinement right next door. Now, this was the minimum wage job of the day. They were, they were hiring people coming through Ellis Island to come in and milk the cows in these dairies, and the cows are very malnourished. There was no sunshine, no grass pastures. The cows are literally becoming individual little breweries of themselves, little distilleries. They have the wrong kind of, wrong kind of bacteria in their manure, and they've never seen that kind of feed before because it's not something you would ever feed a cow. And the guys that were milking these cows were doing it by hand and just kind of open up your senses and kind of absorb the ambiance of this whole thing. And when it got really cold, they put their feet in the milk. Open buckets. No, oof, that's ugly, huh? Uh, no rubber hoses that go from machine into the, the bucket. No way to clean anything. No hot water. The water they did use to clean was filthy because they used to commingle the water that was clean and the water that was dirty. It wasn't really, you know, separated very, very well. No flushing toilets. If you walk down the street in Philadelphia, you'd watch out because somebody threw their pee out of the second story window at you because they didn't have flushing toilets. So it was a disaster in terms of food safety. And TB, tuberculosis, brucellosis was rampant. But remember, 40 miles away or 30 miles away, out in the countryside, you had that other picture of green grass pastures. That milk was going to the Mayo Clinic to heal people. But that wasn't commercially important. What was important, 50% of people were dying from drinking the swill milk in downtown Boston. In 1893, a guy by the name of Strauss brought in the parboilers, which was the early form of pasteurization from France. Pasteur never pasteurized a drop of milk in his life. He pasteurized for, for wine and he pasteurized for beer to take the bacteria out so the yeast would work properly. Anyway, bottom line was, Strauss is seen as an overnight hero because people stopped dying. They went from 40% or 50% of people dying down to 10% of people dying. And the other 10% of people stopped dying when they cleaned up the Water Act. They got cows off the streets and got horses off the streets and started driving cars down the street and flushed the toilets. So it was a big sanitation issue. Uh, it was important for the dairy industry because they were killing people left and right and they were losing money. But again, that's where the beginning of this breaking apart of the certified raw milk going this way the last certified raw milk dairy in the United States of America was Altadena Dairy. And it was in uh, 1999, May of 1999, that they produced the last drop of milk under the physician's supervision of the standards of the AAMMC. California does not have certified raw milk. My milk is not certified raw milk. My milk is grade A raw milk under the California standards. I don't have a physician board that supervises us. We're strictly inspected, inspected by the state of California. The other raw milk, they lived in parallel. The pasteurized milk and the raw milk, a clean raw milk, lived in parallel until about 1940 when the Industrial Revolution was really going. And you have to harken back. Think about it. 1940, they were having cigarette advertisements saying this is good for your asthma, right? That's what was going on in 1940. And DDT was good for your skin. Uh, promotion of, you know, all these wonderful foods we're going to create by killing everything. Well, I think we've come a long way since 1940, but in 1940, all the farm boys were going off to fight somebody without any money, so just pasteurize the heck out of it, and there's no real thought about nutrition loss. So now we're paying the price of big industrial agriculture, embracing that concept, taking it to the hills. Well, now we know that the pasteurization doesn't really work at low temperatures. The bacteria become resistant, so they've gone from 140 degrees to 150 degrees, 160, 165 degrees, 172 degrees, now 228, 282 degrees, because the bacteria will adapt and overcome. So it's pretty interesting to see these kinds of conditions here. Uh, we still have a lot of these kinds of conditions that happened in the, 19, the 1840s because the ethanol we produce is not to consume as alcohol for ourselves, but for our cars. 
the ethanol production now is going to, to, to for cars. Yes, you're squirming over there. You got to say something. Yeah, say it. Oh. That you infiltrate a cell in order to introduce uh, another DNA is through bacteria, such as E. coli, etc. So e. coli is the target used for this stuff. Exactly. That's actually how you change the genetic. With bombardment, you take an E. coli and you bombard it. I mean, it's really haphazard way. So when right. you're talking about that, we're it's actually embedding it internally. The, the filth is internal, it's not external. You got it. You said you come along with really. We haven't. We've come a long way, but we haven't come a long way. That's my punchline. In fact, we've actually redone history, and now we're doing terrible things to, that we never did before. We're actually playing with science. Before it was like just science. Now it's we're playing with science. So we've actually created a car wreck out of where we've gone in the history of something that was fairly simple to something that's extremely complex and being compoundedly complex. Thank you for your comment, because that's so right. And now we're cloning. There's lots of ugly out there. FDA um, supporting industry to do these kinds of things without requirements for testing. Um, Food Inc. Anybody seen Food Inc.? Okay. It tells the story. Believe me, I can testify it's absolutely correct and far worse than even depicted, which is horrendous. So, right on. Uh, so we've got really unnatural sets of conditions, and this was what I was talking about on Fox News the other night is, hey, we're having problems with these eggs because they're coming out of CAFO facilities. A CAFO facility is a confinement animal feeding operation, whether it be pigs, chickens, eggs, or cows, or whatever you're confining to do this stuff nowadays. You're feeding antibiotics and grain and no sunshine and lots of manure, and totally unnatural sets of conditions with GMO this and, and clone that, and you start getting funky weird stuff out of the other end. That's not rocket science. You do weird stuff with Mother Nature, she's going to give you weird stuff coming out the other end. And then you've got mankind over here that's super weak because we have depressed immune systems, and now you've got a marriage made in hell. And that's exactly what's going on. And you know what? Industry doesn't want to admit it. The FDA is protecting it, and therefore we're enduring it because your voices are being ignored. But it's, it's starting to change a little bit. It's starting to change. The uh, conventional milk chain is a very complex one. You start in the dairy, which is a confinement animal feeding operation. The, uh, the average lifespan of a California cow is 42 months. Uh, it's one and a half pregnancies because they can't get them pregnant because there's kind of an inhibition of ovulation when you put a lot of milk out. Same thing for mama humans. When you're nursing, there's generally an inhibition of ovulation so you don't get pregnant against Mother Nature's birth control. Well, these cows are putting out 20, 22, 23 uh, gallons of milk a day on hormones. Their body goes, I can't put up with a kid. There's no way I'm going to get pregnant. And they're using all artificial hormone inducement, all kinds of stuff. So the cows just simply can't have the second calf, so she goes to be hamburger. That's why it's at 42 months, which is three and a half years. Cows produce their first calf at about 24 to 26 months, which is at two years. And then they milk them until they die, literally. They can't get them pregnant the second time. Now, they can Sometimes, but it's, that's the average why it's being done that way. They've also done something called sexed semen, and that means you take semen from the bull and you separate the sex, female and male. And you only give female sperm to the cows, so you're producing tons and tons of heifers and no bull calves because uh, they're trying to get cheaper milk. Well, you're getting cheap milk. What's interesting in the United States today is in California, you're overproducing milk like crazy at these mega dairies. A lot of these mega dairies were financed by selling their real estate here in Altadena. They sold their dairy, which they inherited from two or three generations, and they got 50 million bucks for it, or 20 or whatever the outrageous amount. They went and built their lifelong dream of this mega dairy without any marketing plan where they're going to put the 10,000 cows in milk. And now they've got 500,000 cows a year being produced, more because it's not 50-50 with calves being bull and heifer, it's all heifers. So you've got this massive, over overwhelming production of milk with no place to put it because you're seeing a declining demand because there's more and more lactose tolerance because you don't have the right bacteria in the gut. So it's this incredibly madness 
going on, eating itself alive. And a show of hands, how many dairymen have committed suicide according to the St. Albans tie, or Messenger in Wisconsin, or excuse me, in Vermont this year, they reported uh, how many dairymen have committed suicide in the last three years in the United States of America? Tragedy, true tragedy. Any ideas? 100. 100 dairymen have, 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 have killed themselves because they had nothing else to give. If you think about it, it costs you 13, uh, $15 to $17 per hundredweight to break even. That's 100 pounds of milk. It costs you 15 16 $17, depending on which dairy it is. They're getting 12 to 13 They've been as low as $9 in the last two years. So the dairymen are being taken advantage of entirely by the system, which does not include them in terms of sustainability. Total quantum overproduction of milk decreasing interest in the, in the, in the economy uh, for the consumption of milk, although probiotics are doing pretty well, yogurts and cheeses are doing pretty well. But fluid milk, declining, declining, and declining, even though we have Tom Cruise with a milk mustache. So it's a pretty interesting problem they have in selling it. BST hormones, no TB testing, antibiotics in their feed, grain being fed, GMO okay. All this commingled together. All the dairies put their milk together, the good, bad, and the ugly. Let's say I'm a really good dairyman, and I produce the cleanest milk, and it even makes organic pastures look bad. It's great milk. And I put it in the milk tank, and it goes down to the creamery, it gets combined with everybody else. Who cares? Because it's combined together, it all goes to the same pasteurizer. Then you got down here, you pasteurize not just once, two or three or four times to get that bacteria count down low enough to be able to pass the pasteurization test. Pasteurization test has to meet my standards, which is less than 10 coliforms. Well, here's the problem. One pasteurization is only one, five, it's a, a 10 to the fifth, a five log reduction of whatever you start with. Well, sometimes you start out with a really high number. You need multiple times to get that down low enough to actually qualify as pasteurized. So you have multiple pasteurization. Um, you have homogenization, which is the destruction of the, back, of the uh, butter fat by high pressure. Standardization, which is the tearing apart of milk and putting it back by computer protocol. And you got supplementation, you're adding in vitamin A and D and folic acids and all kinds of funky stuffs in there. Um, dry powdered milk, uh, additives, sterile packaging, no pathogen testing again. And you have long shelf life because it's really, really dead. It is. If you think about it, there's no living things in there to eat the lactose sugar, it just sits there. It does exactly the same thing in your gut. It just sits there. Raw milk, it hits your gut, it gets warm, blows, it just falls apart immediately. Because it's whole, it's got its enzymes, it's got its good bacteria. It's got these other wonderful things that we saw on the breast milk slide that just makes your bacteria, it just falls apart. It gets digested and assimilated. So it's pretty interesting how living food goes through you quickly, it, 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 not too quickly, but it goes through you and it actually is absorbed and hydrolyzed very rapidly. Uh, the consumer and the farmer are completely disconnected. In fact, a lot of farmers have signs that say, trespassers will be shot, survivors will be shot twice, you know, that kind of thing. You just don't see any interest in a farmer seeing those terrible PETA people. I don't see terrible PETA people when I see a consumer. I see, oh my God, that's the person I want to see today. I want to see that consumer and I want to tour them on my farm and educate them and embrace them and hear what they have to say about their milk experience. But you don't see that from the conventional dairy system at all. It's no longer milk here. As Andy Rooney put it, the dairy industry wants to sell milk. Why don't they just sell what comes out of the cow? That's what Andy Rooney said. So it's pretty interesting. Pasteurization is no promise. The last few deaths were from Osteria in Massachusetts and there's been no raw milk deaths in the United States of America uh, from raw milk in 37 years from the CDC. Oregon, big old dairy recall right now from Umqua Dairy, 23 people sickened from salmonella. This is an antibiotic resistant, uh, excuse me, a, it's semi-antibiotic resistant. I don't want to read misreport that. And it is a pasteurization resistant, heat resistant form of salmonella. It dies most of the time in pasteurization, but not 100% of the time.
Pasteurized elk is never tested for pathogens. And again, there's lots of things that, pa- that uh, survive pasteurization um, that, that's, that's really kind of ugly. I know this because I was invited. I wasn't invited. I invited myself. I went to the National Conference on Interstate Milk Shipments, which is the who's who of big dairy processors in Florida, the big convention that they had two years ago, to try to get an amendment to CFR 1240.61, which does not allow the interstate sale of raw milk. And I had put in a citizen petition, and I had gotten on their agenda to talk to the scientific research uh, board. Long story short, and there's a lot of ugly things around it, but the bottom line was I got to speak. Um, there was a dialogue there about... Um, at this conference about whether we should start testing for pasteurized milk pathogens. And the, the whole concept was, God, no, don't do that. We might find something. And so if you found something, that means that the concept of killing wasn't working. So it's interesting to see the, the dialogue behind the big Wizard of Oz screen having a consternation with this whole thing in terms of not knowing what to do with it. And clean milk is their enemy because they can't produce clean milk. This is what you see around California as the, the marketing program for California Real Milk. And I, I will say this. There's been a lot of, of changes in the last couple of years. And I, I, my hat's off to the dairies that are struggling so hard today and the families that are trying to do their very best to be environmentally friendly and doing a better job. And I think that they are doing a better job. They really, really are. But when they had this advertisement put together, they outsourced it to New Zealand. It was not actually produced in California. And if you look really, really closely, none of those cows have feet. They've been clipped and cut and put onto a pasture. So this is an artificial ad created in New Zealand for the California milk reality, which is actually that. That's my neighbor's cows. So when you lie, you pay a price. And the price is the fact that you have less and less people drinking pasteurized milk and more and more people going to soy or hemp or almond milk or rice milk or something else because they simply can't stomach it. Now, Dr. Chris Gardner is doing a study at Stanford University right now, and I'll tell you about the study a little bit later, but he's going to show this whole thing up for what it is in about another two months. That's the real, real deal here at Organic Pastures Dairy. There's nothing there perfectly clean. It's alive. It's filled with good probiotic bacteria. That's a newborn child, uh, calf there being licked off by a mom. A totally natural set of conditions, sun-drenched and nutritionally in, in balance. In other states, we have a big challenge with raw milk. I don't, but other states do. And they're struggling like crazy right now in Wisconsin, which is illegal to buy raw milk, but there's people there that want it desperately, and they're breaking the law to get it. And there's big fights over this whole thing, and it's really quite something with police raids and all kinds of stuff going on. It's pretty ugly. Um, Why is this all a lightning rod? Well, one of the questions that Dr. Price asked these people around the world that he visited, these cultures of people, was, why do you eat the foods you eat? Why do you eat... These snails, why do you eat these fermented cod's heads? Why do you eat raw milk? Why do you eat blood? Why do you eat these foods? And their universal answer was, we're very, very concerned about the offspring, our children. We're concerned about having healthy children. Every, call, uh, every culture around the world, without talking to one another and agreeing, and this is what they're going to say to Dr. Uh, Dr. Price, they all agreed that the next generation was critical in terms of nutrition in this generation. These are my grandkids right here. Totally proud of them. My, my daughter and my son. And uh, we are very, very concerned about that as well. It is, however, all about this. Big dairy market control. When you have a hearing about these subjects, the big dairy industry shows up, and they don't talk about consumers ever. They talk about them. They talk about protecting against that terrible raw milk that they can't produce because the milk they have has to be pasteurized. You going into labor back there? We've got a doula up front, and I'll help out. I'm just joking. She can't wait to have her mama's best milk, huh? Okay, sterile foods, fear-mongering. The greatest way to get somebody to do something is scare them. A lot of scare going on right now. 
greed, bacteriophobia, and guess what? Not a, no reason at all to change. Because we have a problem, well there's a couple of kids there, isn't there? We have a, a paradigm that's about sick people making money and well people don't. 19% of our GMP is about sick people, not well people. What would happen to one-fifth of our economy if everybody was well overnight? That's not going to happen, by the way. But what would happen? Well, long lines of people wouldn't line up at doctors, and you wouldn't have lots of drugs being sold, and you'd have healthy people that don't need that so much. So we've got a real problem that we're challenged. Again, this is that picture of what I didn't see on my paramedic calls. You saw all these drugs sitting beside somebody, and you saw no good food in the house. And it really stuck with me emotionally at a very deep level. Uh, we have effectively separated uh, food from health, and that's really been disastrous. We've completely ignored Mother Nature. If the FAA was in charge, I'm a pi private pilot, let me tell you. It's equivalent to seven 747s packed filled with 400 people each cr crashing every morning, and it's not even in the news. The FDA is in charge, it's not even news. But you got cancer killing half a million people a year, medical errors, hundreds of thousands, pharmaceutical drugs, asthma, asthma is 5,200 people a year, uh, MRSA, 20,000 people a year. You pick your numbers, it's a million people a year minimum just to start. So it's a massive body count in this war of the worlds of food versus drugs. But yet, they, if I was to kill somebody from raw milk, my God, I'd be shot, right? One person. I guess it's if you kill one person, you're a murderer. If you kill 10,000, you're a conqueror, I think. It's kind of the, but so the pharmaceutical industry has definitely conquered us. There's no question. But you know that's that's a disaster. But that is the reality for your family. That is the autism curve, and you know it's pointing towards one in fifty guys. Look at this. The Amish only have one in fifteen thousand kids that have autism in their diagnosis when they're born or at three or four years. But the general public is pointing towards one in fifty here in a couple of years. This is two thousand nine data. What's interesting is if you look at I don't know what causes autism, autism, but I tell you what, look at the risks around an autistic child. The Amish, no cell phones, no no computers, no cars, no antibiotics, no vaccination, living very close to the earth, a lot of uh, hard work, physical hard work. They eat a lot from their animals, a lot of raw milk, a lot of gardening going on. Okay? That's the Amish existence. Let's just put that out there as the Amish. General public, everybody's got a cell phone in their hand. Computers everywhere. Sedentary lifestyle, nobody works really that hard. Cars everywhere, lots of fuels and, and toxins. Antibiotics everywhere for anything. Vaccinate you for everything, including things that you aren't ever going to get. Including things that aren't ever going to be epidemic again in the United States. Vaccinations everywhere. No sunshine. No sunshine. Keep on going. Sunscreen. Any others? Welcome to America. That's where we got one in 70, one in 80. So we got paradigms in conflict here, but we've got a little rat experiment where we've got a subculture of people that aren't doing that. It's pretty interesting to see it. Now, we've got two stacks of risks here. You go think, you go think about it. I don't know what's causing it. I don't know exactly what's causing it. You pick your wastebasket. So I'm not suggesting we all become Amish, but I am suggesting perhaps there's a clue to, the, to where we're going in terms of why we're at where we're at. Diabetics, one in three kids going forward is supposed to have diabetes. It's a very interesting university study that talks about this. Asthma, one in five kids. 600,000 cases of diagnosed irritable bowel syndrome. It's all about the gut. How big is the gut? Some doctors tell us, the scientists tell us, it's as big as a tennis court. Some people say it's as big as a, as a soccer field. It's a massive area when you look at all the convolutions and all the villi spaces that we interact with our inner ecosystem in terms of the foods we eat and the inner colonies of bacteria that make us well and protect us. So it's a massive problem. There's diabetes. Look at that. It's just horrendous. Lots of money being made of that. Lots of needles. Lots of insulin being created. So why would you stop that, right? Uh, 5,200 people a year. Boy, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. I remember transporting kids with asthma all the time back in the 80s and 90s. And now it's worse than ever. 
Um, but kids that drink raw milk, asthma goes away. Parsifal study showed that. It's pretty interesting. Colitis going through the roof. Colitis, what is it? Inflammation of your gut. Your gut's not working. The FDA decision panels are our most corrupt group of people you ever saw. It's industry sitting down with uh, uh, the, the regulators, and the regulators came from industry. You talk about a corrupt food ink kind of process, um, that's what's going on. You always hear this miracle drug can come out and, s- and save the world, and then three or four years later they find out that the science was corrupted, and you got this big recall, and then you got 10,000 people dying. Vioxx, Celebrex, Avandia, 87,000 people dying from Avandia, the diabetic drug. It's insane. It's crazy. Uh, our food pyramid. I'm actually kind of proud of the changes made to the. It used to not have this exercise person on there. Now it's got exercise, which is wonderful. Um, that's the best part. I think is great. The food pyramid's got somebody really stretching themselves out there. On the bottom here, these are all foods. If you look at them, they're pretty much unprocessed whole foods. If you think about our minimally processed, you got cereal, you got eggs, you got milk. It doesn't say pasteurized milk. It just says milk. Um, there's 1%, that's not so great, but uh, peaches, it all looks pretty good. But you go to a store and try to buy that stuff in whole form, it's very, very difficult. It's been irradiated, it's been GMO'd, it's been added to antibiotics, it's got preservatives, it's been highly processed in milk over here. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a natural food. So we have a tough time. If you follow this period, probably not too bad, but it's hard to follow it because, in fact, the food is not whole and complete. It's got something else besides the food in it. And you end up looking like that. That is really bad news. Ooh. Well, anyway, this is a very important story which brings the, the story full cycle, full circle in terms of Dr. Price in the 20s and Dr. Chris Gardner at Stanford University today. Dr. Chris Gardner is a well-published uh, university professor at, at Stanford University doing a lactose intolerance study right now at uh, Stanford University. This guy's name is Camelli. And Kamelu was born in the Maasai, and Maasai uh, in Kenya is one of the places that um, Dr. Price studied. And he studied them, and he found they ate a lot of insects, a lot of yams from their gardens, a lot of raw milk, a lot of raw, raw meats and raw uh, blood from, their, from the Maasai. They also were the winningest marathoners in the 1960s and 70s, them and the collegians, and they would eat these kinds of foods and do very, very well athletically in the Olympics. Now they're drinking Coca-Cola over here, and they stopped getting their gold medals, by the way. Uh, now that they're drinking this kind of junk. But Camelli came to the United States as a Maasai warrior who was brought in as a slave, in the slave trade in, in the 1700s. He was brought in by himself, learning English and going to Oregon State University and getting his degree and then going on to Stanford getting his microbiology degree, his, his master's degree in microbiology. Well, in the process of coming from the Maasai to America, he became highly lactose intolerant, couldn't drink the milk here because it was pasteurized. He, wanted to, he started drinking soy milk. Within a couple of years, he had a hell of a case of Crohn's disease. Well, he was sitting in Dr. Chris Gardner's class in nutrition, going to the bathroom every 10 minutes. He had rectal bleeding and all kinds of problems with the bowels, diarrhea. And Dr. Gardner said, hey, what's wrong, Camelli? He goes, I've got problems, I've got problems. So he said, go down to the clinic and see what the doctors had to say. He went down to the Stanford Medical Clinic, one of the top clinics in the world, and they said, you've got Crohn's disease. And we want you to take these drugs and this, that, and the other thing, and we're going to take out 12, 14 you know, feet of your intestines with surgery. He goes, whoa, whoa wait a minute. I've never heard of anybody in the Messiah ever getting Crohn's disease. What is up with this? Why am I getting Crohn's disease? And nobody I know in the Messiah ever has Crohn's disease. So he and I met just by weird circumstance within two weeks of this happening. And I started giving him raw milk. He says, I want to go back to Messiah and eat there, but live here. And so he started eating exactly like he ate in the Messiah. And in front of Dr. Chris Gardner in his Stanford class in a year, he completely recovered from his Crohn's disease drinking seven and a half gallons of raw milk a week and a banana every day and some other foods he put together, he recovered fully, if not, I don't know if it's fully, but I mean 99%. So Dr. Gardner saw this 
He says, well, I'm not stupid. I saw what happened. He didn't go through surgery. He didn't do all these drugs. And he recovered. Wow. And that's where Dr. Gardner and I got together and said, I want to study raw milk and figure out what's going on with that. But what I find fascinating about the study is he invited a bunch of people to come in to be tested for lactose intolerance. And there's an there's a, a actual test you can actually take as a breathalyzer test to diagnose clinically and objectively whether you are or you're not lactose intolerant. 820 people came in to have this test to be part of the study. Well, all these people came in and said they couldn't digest pasteurized milk. They had gas cramps and pain and agony and all that kind of stuff. And he says, okay, you qualify for the program. Come in and we take the breathalyzer. Guess how many people actually had lactose intolerance out of the 820 people that came in that said they couldn't digest pasteurized milk? Any guesses? 17 people out of 820. You're talking about just a couple percent, 5%, 7%. We got a problem with pasteurization beyond lactose intolerance. That's the first finding of the study. So the study has been renamed Pasteurization Intolerance. So if this is going to come out in the news in December, January this next year, oh boy. Oh boy. So I think that yogurt will be the winning part of pasteurized milk and maybe some raw cheeses. Uh, I think pasteurized milk is going to have a hard time going forward because of the destruction of some living elements, some important things been changed that causes humans not to be able to digest it. If you had to get a drug, blood transplant, do you think you'd want to have a superheated transplant blood be sent to you? I don't think so. There's something there, something alive. Our food chain, there's no money on the farm, there's empty food in the shelf, and this, a lot of this stuff comes from China, you don't know where your food comes from, all the money's made on processing, retailing, that's our food chain in America. But all of these things here, all of these things here are now in epidemic proportions, allergies, asthma, uh, arthritis, lactose intolerance, all of these things are made quantumly better with a whole food diet and eating the things in raw milk or just raw milk are made better by these things, uh, these things are tremendously made better. And I could discuss the physiology of each of these things in detail if anybody wants to know. Billions of dollars have been made by drugs, to, they're applied to those diagnoses by the FDA approved drug manufacturers, so why is there any change? We have a depressed immune system as a result of all this. A living food solution is literally a strong uh, immune system, organic farmers make money because it's probiotic, enzyme rich, and all of these things get much, much better if not completely healed. I'm not suggesting, almost done. Almost, uh, they're, they're going to be gone completely, but nearly so. Our food chain is very short, and it happens because of dollar voting. Consumers like yourself saying, no more. I want to choose a different way. There's my food chain right there. These are customers of ours coming to see us. Our foods right here, we have 17 foods. We just continue our, our chocolate leche, but the rest of these things are available in the marketplace uh, out there. Yale University, they took out, they took rice here, and they took out the bacteria in their gut. And what do you know, they ended up with type 1 diabetes. They fed them poorly and they, they all ended up with type 1 diabetes. Wouldn't you say that's a rat experiment in America? Going forward, one in three children is going to have diabetes. They did this at Yale under research and they found that they got type 1 diabetes when they took the bacteria out of the, of the rat. Pretty interesting, this was just two years ago. Uh, breast milk, this is the UC Davis discovery here about these wonderful probiotic immunity systems, the oligosaccharide sugars, all these profoundly important things that are destroyed during pasteurization are now, wow, important. Here's a, a, a very important study was done on African kids and Italian kids. And the Italian kids, first world uh, consumers of food, had all kinds of food allergies. Their feces had a very narrow kind of bacteria count. Go to a, 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 a group of people, uh, kids living in Africa, and what do you know, they had very pro, a very broad spectrum kind of bacteria, a lot of soil bacteria, a lot of the wonderful environmental bacteria in their gut. They didn't have food allergies. So pretty interesting that they're studying that now. Raw milk study. This is the Stanford raw milk study done by Dr. Chris Gardner that will be concluded here in the next uh, couple of months. That uh, definitely promises to be very profound. 
Um, here's a study from UC Davis talking about these same bifidobacteria, so important, these special sugars from raw milk. No use to the baby, but use in the bacteria of the gut, the colonies. All about breast milk, raw milk. This all applies completely to raw milk from cows. This is a very important, kind of funny, but seriously almost tragic story. Anybody see this New York Times study? You saw it? Anybody see it? Blew your mind? This is uh, Clostridium difficile. This woman was dying. She had been in the ICU, she had been treated, her gut was literally dead from Clostridium difficile. She had been given multiple rounds of antibiotics and she was going to die the next day. She was circling the drain. This doctor said, wait a minute, I'm going to try something. I'm going to do a Hail Mary here. Went to her husband, took his feces, I don't know how he got him, but somehow got his feces, got his gut floor, got his entire digestive tract contents, his crap, and transferred it into her intestines and within two days she was fine. So guys, anytime you give your wife some crap, it's a, it's a gift of love. Um, women, think about that for a second. You know, those that have really good digestive tracts in the future, you may have your crap bought from you uh, as a life-saving event because you'll be the one with good stuff that's needed somebody else. Funny, but oh so true in terms of truly what's going on in the gut of a human. In fact, we painted ourselves in a corner which killing people left and right. And doctors are saying, wait a minute, let's put the good stuff back in there. Um, here is a very important study done specifically on raw milk. It was done on 14,800 kids in Europe a few years ago. It showed that the kids that had raw milk in their diets, whether they be on the farm or in the city, had an 87% decrease of asthma for life. Dr. Donald Fields in Fresno is my personal hero. My daughter Kaylee and my grandson. Raw milk provides prescriptions for raw milk all the time. And the kids do extremely well. Asthma, allergies, reduction of allergic rhinitis, ear infections, they go away in kids that have raw milk. The differences between raw milk and breast milk, well, I won't go over them too much, but they're quantum. The one important thing I'd like to say is phosphatase enzyme is destroyed entirely when you pasteurize milk. In fact, the test for pasteurization is called the negative alpha phosphatase test. This enzyme is critical for the development of absorption when you have osteopenia and osteoporosis. Absorption of calcium. But how are you going to absorb that without these good fats in raw milk as well as these phosphatase enzymes? And it just goes on and on and on. The differences are quantum, but you don't see this on the nutrient labels for pasteurized milk. Here's the difference between breast milk and raw milk. Kind of the other story from the other uh, uh, slide I showed earlier. But quantum differences. And this is, again, Lancet, American Scientific Journal. Food safety guarantees, I never, ever, ever promise safety in our raw milk, ever. What I promise to you is we're going to do our very best and look at our record. A record is 10 years, zero pathogens, nobody dead. But what's very important is, if you drink raw milk, you're going to increase your immune system and you probably won't even know it if a bad bug comes your way because you will be that much healthier. That's a promise I can make. In some states, I show this slide, they can't believe that raw milk is on a shelf like this. But it's very important to note that ultra-high temperature pasteurized lactose-free lactate milk is the competing brand. It tells you all about lactose intolerance. We have lost the wisdom of the ages. I would strongly encourage you to get connected with Alina over here, who is a great culture, uh, a culture of dairy foods and other foods, and other people, the Weston Price Foundation, and even in your own communities. Learn about these things, open your minds, and be accepting of perhaps wisdom of the ages to be able to go forward by going back a little bit, because current scientific stuff is feeding on itself and not working. That's my wife and I, and we really, really want to reach out and know you, and you need to know us so that you can have a, a transparency into the food and where you get it. You also know where all the other food comes from that's on your plate at home because you don't want it to come from some funky place. And uh, yes, that's very important. Family does matter and food matters as well. I hope I planted some seeds here today. I hope we can water them and fertilize them and feed them with some raw milk. And I hope that this, this can actually create more and more interest 
and more and more farmers perhaps would join us to produce raw milk for California, that I'm not the only place to get raw milk, that it could be a place that all farmers can find some rest from the, this terrible battle that they're having with low milk prices and suicides and so on and so forth. And it literally is a decision you make for yourself. You can't go to the doctor and get a shot of health. You have to do your own immune system push-ups. It's personal responsibility. In America, we blame everybody for everything. We sue them for millions of dollars when we get sick. When in fact, that's not the solution to anything. It's about prevention. So, where do you get raw milk? You go to our website and you put up, uh, you can put your zip code in, or you can find it here. There's a couple goat dairies. I think you've got some milk you might want to sell on the side. But the bottom line is, connect to your farmer. You can find it commercially, or you can find it locally. And that's my presentation for today. And I'd be more than happy to answer any questions you have. Our website's packed with stuff. YouTube's got all kinds of stuff on it. I think this was recorded today. And I hope the skeptics can at least have some additional information now to be perhaps less skeptic and perhaps more interested in this subject. Thank you so much, Gloria. Oh, yes. One last thing. One last thing. I would beg you, my whole complete payment for today, if you'd be willing to give me your email address and your name on the sign-in sheet out there, I would be very honored. And that way we can keep you abreast of what's coming on. And there's lots of things going on. And it's all about connecting to the information and knowing the information versus just being in hiding someplace unconscious. So thank you so much for coming today. Yes, ma'am. The Organic Pastures website can be found at organicpastures.com. We'll see you at homegrownevolution.com.